the antidote meets with Scott Shaw of Leopard. <laughs> Scott, we've been having some fun prior to this interview starting. Thanks for meeting. Sure. What else am I going to do? Yeah, you, you've <laughs> nothing better to do this morning than talk with me. Then, well, I could be sucking down some more coffee, but pretty well caffeinated at this point. Getting to the States, this is the first time I've had a decent coffee. Yeah. Bad coffee is the norm? It, it depends on where you go. Okay. I, mean, I am a coffee snob. It's one of the few things I feel okay about being snobby about. Generally, the, the idea of snob just infuriates me. But I just can't drink that stuff from a gas station. As much as I hate to admit it, Starbucks usually makes a good cup of coffee. But you got to ask for dark roast because they give you that light roast stuff. It's bleh. Okay, so now we've covered coffee. How about we talk about music? Okay. Goth rock is the basis of the music of Leopard. But, Scott, are you personally part of the goth scene? Um, I'm not really sure how to answer that. I am a bit of an introvert. Hang that's out. coming through, that you're very introverted. Oh, yeah. I, I can't explain that. But I, I have a, I guess, split personality. When I'm just Scott at home, I, I'm pretty quiet. When I start looking like this, and, and I'm all fixed up, and I'm in this element, like at a show, or I, I suddenly become extroverted. I still cannot walk up to a total stranger and just start talking, no matter what I'm doing. I just can't do it. Maybe at a venue I could do it, because you're there at the venue, I'm here at the venue, and I'm here to do a show. And if it looks like you're here to see me perform, then I can extrovert a little bit. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty quiet. I feel like I was supposed to be answering a different question there. Oh, I know a lot of people in the Chicago goth scene. Um, I guess I'm pretty big presence in the Christian goth scene now. I don't know how big. For all I know, there's only like 10 people, Christian goths, that know who I am. I guess I'm okay with that. Oh, come on, because you do have the longevity. I mean, you've been in it, what, since 2000? Something like that. Yeah, I think so. And before that, I, I was doing stuff around Cleveland where I was growing up. Just like coffee house, open mic kind of stuff. Yeah, I, like I said, I, I don't really hang out in goth clubs, per se. The reason I was bringing that up, a lot of artists just come out and they're trying to set themselves up into a specific music scene, but they're not actually involved in it. I don't want to be exclusive to a specific music scene. I'm an artist and my art just happens to have a dark presence about it, you know, a dark look. I like minor chords. I can't play R&B stuff, you know, just not interested. I can't play metal, I'm not capable, and I'm not interested. I just like to create art. If people want to associate me with goth, then I'm okay with that, you know, because that's, that's what I mainly listen to in a lot of Christian goth bands. Do you find it that there's any, I don't know, ambiguities between the goth scene and Christianity? I mean, you're not out here trying to convert people. I think yes and no. There's a lot of misconceptions on both sides that's been pretty frustrating. A lot of, a lot of non-goth people have this absurd idea that goth is some sort of witch religion, which goth has nothing to do with any religion. It's, it's really just a form of art. It comes from terms of architecture. It comes from you know old black and white horror movies. It, it certainly doesn't have anything to do with trench coat mafia. I don't even know what to say about that. Just for the record, you know, the, the Columbine shooters in, in Colorado a few years ago, they were not goth kids. They were just kids. They had no connection to the goth scene. I think they had a Marilyn Manson CD, 
in their collection, along with a gazillion other CDs in their collection, because, you know, at the time, he was selling a lot of stuff. That was their only connection. So why in the world the media chose to call it a goth crime is just mind-boggling. But on the other side, goth tend to think that the church doesn't want them around, you know, doesn't like them. We don't like them. We, we don't like the way they look. We don't like what they sound like. We, we don't like what they're doing with all that witchcraft stuff, which most goth kids are not really doing a lot of witchcraft. I mean, maybe they are now. I, I've had some conversations with some kids. You know, we, we did a show in Detroit. You know, this, this kid, he had invited us out knowing we were Christians, but because he had seen us at another show and had not put the connection at the time, he said something just out of the blue. He's like, I don't get you guys. I mean, I don't get it. You're, you're Christians, but you're not judging anybody. You're approachable, you're friendly, and you're, you're, you're accepting. And, of course, you know, me standing there with wearing a corset and, and a veil, I was like, yeah, I don't think I have room to judge anybody on anything. So, It's really amusing when I was reading your site, and you were talking about your music. I'm going to read this off. A darker Pink Floyd, an edgier cure with some Nine Inch Nails mixed in. Once you see it written down, it makes sense, but I'd love to hear you describe music of Lopper. Uh, nonsensical. Uh, it's, it's all smoke and mirrors. You know, we, we don't, we actually Millie Vanilli everything. We don't play, we don't sing. Uh, I had Amy Lee from Evanescence do all my vocals for me. It's on a track, and I just, no, I'm just kidding. And that's what makes it easier when you're hiding behind a veil. Well, you know, really I'm not sure how to answer that question. When I was little... I was really into a band called Res Band. You know, they, they were my heroes. They were who I wanted to grow up to be. And, and now, of course, I live with them. So that, that's pretty cool. I was into a lot of different things. I mean, I, I was into a lot. I hate to say it, but I was into a lot, of, a lot of metal bands because the kids I was hanging out with, that's what they were into. So being a Christian, I was really only interested in Christian music as a residual effect of being a Christian. My wife... She was really into goth music, but she didn't know anything about Christian music. She wasn't a Christian at the time. She was just a girl that was, she was really cute. She was really pretty and fun to hang out with, so I was chasing her. And now I was challenged to find some kind of Christian music that was along the line of what she listened to. I found Savior Machine and Mortal, Deedophobia, The Awakening. And discovered that these guys were doing all the things that I kept waiting for all these metal bands to do, but they weren't doing it. So obviously, I don't need this stuff anymore, and I, I finally found a home. It, it wasn't really so much even just goth. There's a band called Starflyer 59. I really love them. I, they can't do anything wrong, especially their newer stuff is like just flabbergasting good. Or or the choir is another. They're probably one of my biggest influences, I think. So. Not being really influenced by goth music, I don't, I'm not really sure why Leper sounds like it does, because it's influenced by so many other things. Um, as a kid, I never really listened to Pink Floyd until, really, I think a, a, maybe two years ago, I, I sat down and I went through their whole discography just out of curiosity, and couldn't understand how in the world they came up with all my ideas so many years before I came up with them. <laughs> but uh, so apparently I must have heard some of their stuff as a kid I, I, I know I've heard The Cure as a kid and, and I'm sure they, they were like a subconscious influence 
even though I wasn't like actively listening. I, I don't know, maybe that's just a God thing. You say, here's what I want you to play, and who knows? I want to get you to talk a little bit more about some of your music that you've actually done, because we brought up the point earlier about you starting in 2000. You've put out a ton of music since then. How many albums have you actually done? Uh, well, if we had access to Bandcamp right now, I could look that up, but I'm not really sure. <laughs> I feel like somewhere in the neighborhood of 10 or 15, of course, they're, all, they're mostly all like self-released, self-recorded. There's, there's three albums that I have that are legitimate out of Gur Records, and you know, where, where the, the production quality is really, really upscale and, and pristine. Sometimes I like the, the lesser quality recordings better. There's something magical in the performances there. You know, most, I think a lot of indie fans probably would, would agree with that. Well, how about if I take you on a bit of a stretch and actually have you go back and give me a brief word about some of your past recordings? The original one, I guess, Phil, back in 2000. That's actually not original. There was previous stuff before that. Um, but Phil... It was a collaboration between me and, and, and my friend who was playing bass at the time. His name's Dan. He was really into a lot of Norwegian black metal. So when you listen to that record, you do hear certain elements of that in there. I didn't necessarily want that in there, but I can't tell the guy I'm working with, sorry, your, your, your opinion doesn't count, because that's completely wrong. Um, it depends on how much bigger he is than you are. Eh, we're about the same. But, I mean, his mouth is probably bigger. <laughs> He's a bit snarkier than, than I. I'm too sensitive to be snarky, so. But, you know, he was, he was a good guy, and, and he had a lot of really good ideas. He wanted to make all our stuff really super long, which I, I kind of agreed with him. You know, a lot of our stuff is long, because the kind of art that we're doing doesn't lend itself to a three-minute song. It just It wouldn't work. You know, it takes three minutes just to get your intro out of the way. And now you could do the song. And the song has got to be four because it doesn't it doesn't work any other way. Well, this is the one that introduced me to Lapper was Kreischen in 2005. That really grabbed my attention. That's a German word. means screaming or shrieking or something like that. Anyway, it's, of course, you know, that again, Dan was still with me at the time. And it still has some of that metal influence. I think less. Um, we started getting more death rock, you know, more of that 80s British post-punk sound that, that I really, really wanted. Going into, like, the realms of The Cure or Christian Death, but they're actually California, but it's neither here nor there. You know, like I said, it, we're trying to reach for a little bit of that Baja's feeling, too, and I think we've it's eluded us so far. But um, that one has a bit more of that 9-inch nails variation. The last three or four songs definitely has that Pink Floyd feel. Maybe not quite as much as I would like it to have. There's just a certain atmosphere that I, I really enjoy in a, in a song that really takes the time to build. It just has that really smooth, laid-back, I feel like my life is a movie right now kind of feeling. Well, carrying on with that, you did And Everybody Died. That one, now at that point, Dan had moved on, and he was replaced by... Two other guys, one of which just didn't make it for long. There's a lot of time in between those two records, though. Maybe three or four years. But that was a little further into the whole death rock thing. You know, I was able to really get away from the metal side. I had gone through two bass players and a keyboard player in between those two albums. 
a good friend of mine named Kenny Dale, who would have been on that album had he not moved right before we went in to start working on it. He wrote most of the bass lines on there, which is a lot of what drives Leper. Yeah, I, I don't really do anything. I'm not that guitar player. I'm just holding a chord. There, there's something really intriguing to me about striking a chord and just letting it ring for all it's worth. And, and then letting a bass do everything else in the drum machine. We started getting more into keyboards at that point. The title, of course, my, my wife came up with that because she's just funny. I think we have been watching a lot of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. and <laughs> She said something that the way she phrased it, it was a lot of times I feel like I'm, I'm talking to Drusilla from that show. She's this kooky nut vampire girl. Something's not quite there. Her marbles are all mixed up. And my wife will say things every now and then that's on par with this character. And, and she thought that name would just be fun. It'll, it'll freak people out. But then you went mellower with the next album title. Yes. And you oh, did well. Beautiful Gray Day. <laughs> that was kind of as a result of a challenge with the, the guy that, that runs Gray Records. I don't remember how he got on the subject, whether or not acoustic guitar belongs in goth music. He was saying, I don't think acoustic guitar would work with goth music. So I was challenged now to, to write a whole album with just acoustic guitar. And it really does work. Yeah. I was surprised to find that. Well, I mean, like the forerunners of goth music are, are like The Cure, and most of their stuff is a 12-string acoustic. Their electric is just decorating on top of that. If you look into any of the, the forerunners of what we know as goth music, you're going to hear a lot of acoustic guitar. And, of course, with Gurr... And well, a lot of people now that I, in, in general, not Necker, but just people, not coming from that scene, they're coming from everything's Led Zeppelin to them. And, you know, they, they didn't know what goth was and, until I came along. Everywhere I go, when I make any mention that I play goth music, they think I'm talking about black metal, or they think I'm talking about Evanescence or him, and that's not goth that's metal or they they may think i'm talking about marilyn manson that's not goth that's metal and it sounds like nitpicking in a fine line but it's not a fine line it's an enormous line yes goth music is pretty pretty broad there's a lot of different stylings of, of goth even i mean there's there, there's a band from australia called virgin black oh. to me they they can do no wrong i mean they're amazing make no mistake they are gothic but they are metal they use a lot of classical guitar, and uh, yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Really, like if you put them next to The Cure, you get two things that don't make sense together, which is odd because they are both technically considered goth. But then if you put Nine Inch Nails in there, they're, they're like so far off left field, they have nothing to do with these other two, but they're still associated with goth scene somehow. Well, you know what I think you need to do, Scott, is that we're going to put the job onto you to start <laughs> defining subgenres of goth. That's been done by so many people, and it's just a headache. I mean, it's worked this way with metal, so why not with God? Well, it's like anything, even even punk. And, and here's what most people don't don't seem to realize, is that goth came from the early 70s British punk movement. It did not come from the American metal movement. No idea how that thing got dreamed up. I know what I wanted to ask you about. 2013, you did a concept album. Hex and Prozis, yes. Oh, that was that was a good time. My wife has this weird fascination with witches and witch stories, you know, documentaries, historical stuff. 
not so much the Harry Potter version of witches because that's that's something different. No, her her fascination is when witches were villains, and you had to somehow find out who it was, and then you had to figure out how you're going to defeat this witch because they're going to get you. Having them villains was more intriguing than having them friendly, you know, to us. Maybe that's just our old-fashioned frame of mind, or I don't know. But Hex and Prozis was... We had been watching a documentary on the Salem Witch Trials. And and what I started to notice... And, and of course, who knows really how much of that history is actually accurate at this point. You know, things have been taken out of context so many times from so many different directions. But if what we were watching in the documentary, if it was true, what I felt like I was seeing was people of influence wanted something or people they had influence but they didn't have anything they just wanted something all they had to do is claim their neighbor was a witch and now all of their belongings belong to them so it was a way of manipulating the system anybody who knows anything about that whole scene there there's these three young girls that started the whole thing the theory is that they were hanging out with a slave girl who was showing them that by cracking an egg and dropping it in water, whatever shape it took would suggest what kind of guy they would marry someday. So it's it's probably, you know, just this little parlor game. They're not really trying to conjure the devil or whatever. They're, they're just being girls, young teenagers. And they got caught. And so living in a, a Puritan, you know, society, if they get caught doing that kind of stuff, they're in big trouble. So they panicked and start making these outrageous claims that the devil was taking over and they were being forced and all this crazy stuff and the town went nuts. This was their way of getting out of trouble really. But then they started to realize that they had a lot of attention and that might have been fun. It makes sense that they would play that up. People have been doing it, people still do it. They, they, people will always do this. If you think you can get attention doing something, whether it's questionable or not, you're probably going to do it because the attention is fun. Um, so they, they became like rock stars, according to the documentary that we saw. And they were taken from town to town to name witches. So what I see in this whole thing in relation to today, instead of telling the whole story, the statement I wanted to make with that is how a lot of people will use Christianity and religion to justify some sort of social crime. And there's a lot of people that will claim that Christianity is all bad because that's what it does. But the reality is, I don't believe that God would have stepped into Salem, Massachusetts and said, let's kill all these witches and just start taking out innocent people. So now you got all these innocent people being hanged for all kinds of different reasons that never really had anything to do with righteousness. They did things in the name of Christianity that was completely wrong, but you know, on the same side, it's a lie. You know, This isn't God's will that these people were to be killed. And the, the record comes from the perspective of Martha Corey, who was allegedly the last person to be hanged as a witch. And uh, she was named by her husband, possibly because they weren't getting along well, so he named her as a witch. She was arrested. Then there's the sheriff, Sheriff Corwin, who's really tormenting a lot of people simply because he had the authority to do so. He probably didn't care if he was actually bothering witches. He cared that he was allowed to bully people. And all he had to do was just, well, she's a witch. So it's it's pretty deep. I guess it's a lot of statements I'm trying to make. But the overall is, don't try to blame God for the crimes of people who claim that they're doing something in God's name. 
If they're committing a crime, they're not doing it in God's name. They're doing it in their own, and they're just hiding behind God as a way to justify themselves. Okay, Scott Shaw Leper, are you ever going to run out of songs? No. I've been praying about that a lot lately. You know, I don't do as many shows these days that I want to do. I know I have a lot more in me to write. I believe that I can only run out of songs when it no longer is important to make a statement about something in society. And that's probably never going to end. There will always be something that needs to be said. As long as there's something that needs to be said, there has to be a song about it. I posted on Bandcamp a new record that is really just a bunch of experiments. They wouldn't be worthwhile to try to recreate in a real studio. So, you know, I just, I threw it all together like super fast. You know, it's called Minimal. I'm kind of waiting to record its collection of about 15 songs that I'm, I'm hoping I can work with. Good records. I have three other albums like full-length group of songs here, like 10 or so songs a piece that each one is completely different. I, I have a collection of more acoustic songs. You know, they're a little folky, but they're still, you know, death rock. Then I have this other thing I'm working on that's I intend it to be way more Pink Floyd than I've ever done. Like super droney and dark. And then I have another 10 or 15 songs that are all definitely Nine Inch Nails sounding. And I have other ideas that I haven't started on yet. And Bandcamp is the place to come and find the music of Lumper. Yes, that you can find everything there. You can also find their three albums on uh, Gur Records' website. Maybe what we'll start doing in the future anyways is doing all my bass parts with... I'll just play them on the keyboard and make it really, really laid back. I haven't decided. Who knows? The Antidote's been here with Scott Shaw of Lumper. Man, Scott, thanks. It's been great. You're welcome.